you're you're a heralded drag racer and, and everything that you contributed to the sport and you've got the hall of fame recognition to go along with that so let's talk about after you did retire from drag racing where where did you go from there well in 1980 end of 1981 Weisco piston was two towns over from me uh, close proximity but maybe let's say seven miles okay and they had made pistons for snowmobiles and motorcycles and outboard motors and stuff, the small motor stuff for years. And they decided they wanted to start a automotive end. So at the end of 1981, uh, they got a hold of me and I went over there and met with them. And they proposed they want to do this. And I said to him, well, you know, what kind of pay are we talking here? I said, first off, I said, I'm not a salesman. I know nothing about it. I said, but I, I know what I'm talking about. And I'm pretty good authority on pistons after having a top fuel car all those years <laughs> and, and what needs to be done and not need to be done. But anyway, uh, we, come, we come to a deal and I said, all right. I said, I'm going to take a withdrawal from the union. And I said, I'm going to keep my book, but we'll try this and see where it goes. And I, I took... Well, I took a $19,000 a year pay cut that first year Wow! just to try it because I didn't want to sit in a crane the rest of my life. I knew I enjoyed it, but it was cold in the wintertime. And I'm now in my early 40s and mid 40s. And I said, well, uh, let's let's try this. Well, anyway, it snowballed and it really got big and it wanted to lead itself to circle track racing more so than Drag racing. Now, drag racing, you got a lot of guys buy parts, but in the smaller classes, they can run the same motor two, three years. When you got up to funny car and top fuel, there was already five guys making pistons for them. So if you put another slice of that pie, it ain't very big. So it wanted to lead itself toward oval track when we let it. And that was from 82. We started by 1988. I had 85% of the NASCAR Winston Cup field had Weisskopf pistons in them. So it just grew and grew and grew. And uh, at that time, they'd been in, in 82, they'd been in business since 1941, and they had 49 employees. Well, by the time 1990 came around, we had 170 employees, and all, everything was CNC machines, which they didn't have when I started. Everything was CNC machines. So it just blew up. And, and every time we'd buy something to make an automotive piston better, it made every other product better. Yeah. And it was, uh, and I'm very proud to say that we brought a lot of innovations into the automotive industry that all piston manufacturers use today. So it was, it was a great ride. And I, 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 we got sold to corporate in 1998. And here I was a guy that didn't have any college education and I didn't wear three-piece suits, and I was old, and I made too much money, so it was not going to be long before they let Jim go. So I gave him six months' notice at the first of 99, uh, but I'd already started building my house down here in North Carolina at that time. So uh, left there and come down here and uh, started my own ripping company, and I ripped five different lines until 2010 when I stopped working and uh, was 70 years old. So I said, that's enough. 
Well, so you retire from working, but something else is happening during this period of time too. Um, Steve Gibbs and the NHRA begin the heritage stuff, you know, and the, the mm-hmm. cackle fest and all of that and a California hot rod reunion and Bowling Green. And when did it, when did you become in, involved in all of that? I mean, it, it, it's a really cool deal. I was down at Bowling Green this year and that's the first time I had some NHRA credentials and, and it's the first time I was able to ever actually get to that event. And even though the top fuel was, you know, whatever politics were going on there, I'm not going to discuss that, but what a, what an awesome event, you know, and, it just uh, uh, incredible. When did you get involved? Well, I started going to Bowling Green. Uh, well, I, uh, 90, I think it was 1998. I think we were at Columbus. And was it was at 1998. We were in Columbus with it. And I was still living in Ohio. So I went down to Columbus that year. And, and then we went to Bowling Green after when we were Bowling Green, then Columbus, and then back to Bowling Green and stayed in Bowling Green since then. But I started going to Bowling because Heck, I got to see all the old guys I used to race against, you know, and stuff like that. And then in 2013, the fellow that owns my old top fuel car now, uh, he was called me and he wanted to uh, restore it and whatever and wanted to know if I'd, you know, build the motors for it and whatever. He had some parts and this and that. So he had a lot of 354 stuff to begin with, and that was the first year that motor was in. Then he decided he wanted a motor just like I used to race it. So that motor that's in that car right now is not a cackling motor. That is a race motor. That's got better parts in it than I ever raced in my life. Better valve train, I can tell you that. But that is also a 437-inch motor that's in the car right now. And the clutch and everything is just like I raced the reverser. Uh, all that stuff is just like it was. And you could, well, only thing you would, would want to do would be put a spool in it because it got an open rear because they roll around so much easier. But uh, uh, you can put a spool on that thing and, and take it down the track. It's that good. Is that the is that still the original Woody Gilmore chassis underneath that thing? No, only parts of it are J. Ed Horton. J. Ed Horton built a new chassis to the Woody Specs. Um, well, now I'll tell you something about what happened to the special edition that people don't most people don't know. <laughs> I put that up for sale. I pulled the motor and clutch out of it and reverser and that stuff. And I had the bare chassis with the rear end in it. And I had it for sale in, drag, in uh, National Dragster. I get a call from a guy in Akron, Ohio. And he comes up and looks at it and says, yeah, I want to buy it. I want to buy that in a trailer. I said, okay. Well, this fellow's name was Art Arfons. Oh. Now, I don't know that you remember this or not, the front motor dragster that they put the helicopter turbine in. Yes, I do remember that. They built the funny fenders that went yeah. up over there. That's my old special edition car. Really? Now, it didn't handle with that turbine in it because there was no weight in it. It got upstairs. It wanted to walk around on the rear tires. So what they did with it, they took and cut it off right in front of the motor plate or in front of the motor mounts in front of it there, put a straight axle underneath it, put a small block Chevrolet in it, and turned it into a mini tractor puller for years. <laughs> Tim Arfons and his kids ran that thing as a mini tractor puller. So when the guy that's got my car now in, in Richmond, when he said he wanted to do this, I said, well, let me make a phone call and see if I can find anything. So I called Tim Arfons and Tim says, yeah, there's still some of that stuff laying around down here. So I went down there and 
You've got the front end and the front tires, wheels, steering wheel, fuel tank. That was some all, all of that was still sitting up on a shelf in Art's shop. <laughs> so I bought that, we bought that stuff from Art. And that's, so there's some original stuff in the car. But as far as the chassis goes, uh, no, at, uh, Horton duplicated that off of Woody Gilmore uh, prints. And Herm Peterson's car came off of Woody's jig, either one before mine or one after mine. And I can't remember which. Herm went out there with a video camera, took all the body panels off and measured everything on the car. So when he'd want to know something, we'd throw the VD air and look at it and he'd get the dimensions off of that that Herm would give him off of that. And they, they laid the car out, plus the blueprints and stuff. That's how that car was built. So it's an identical Woody chassis. And I said to Penny, I said, when he got it done, I said, well, you guys got it. You got damn near everything right in it. I said, the only thing is, how do you get the can out of this thing, the clutch can, without pulling the motor forward? What do you mean? I said that had a flip bar in it with the steering on it and stuff. You'd, you'd unbolt it on one side and raise it up and you could lift the can up out of the top. Well, the next time I saw it, he had that done because he's a damn good, <laughs> damn good welder and fabricator, the guy that owns it. But he had that done. So it's now just like it was. And uh, if you sit in the car, it sits the same way. Yeah. In uh, Well, the yeah. original body was that. That's a Tom Hanna body. What did, did you, for the original panels still there or not? No. Bergler built this body, but he did a superb job on it. Uh, it you, it, you'd have to have the other car sitting right alongside it to tell the difference. The nose is exactly like Hannah did. I said to Bergler, I said, "Can you build a nose to look like that snake's head or whatever it was on the Hannah bodies?" He goes, well, "You got good pictures of it." And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Yeah, I can do it." And he did it. Wow. And uh, I had talked to Hannah. But Hannah was so busy, he said, Jim, it's probably going to take me two years to get it on a list. So, and he gave me a price, which was a little tall, but about half of what normal people were paying for other people were paying because of, I'd already had a Hannah body on a car. So then I talked to Bergler, and Bergler gave me a price that saved more money yet. So I said, we want you to do it. So, uh, and then I built Penny the two motors for it. Like I say, I did all, all that. And I'd forgot how damn much grinding work it is to a block to make a three eight stroker fit in one. And I regretted doing that after I was done. But when I got it done, it was all good. But I spent <laughs> over spent over a week with a die grinder in my hand, just grinding it and make sure everything fit and fit right and no interference and whatever. <laughs> well, you know, that, that original car, I mean, it, and I'll go through this again. It was a Woody Gilmore chassis. Mm -hmm. It was a Tom Hanna body. It was Cerny's paint on it was Kelly's uh, lettering and all that on it. I mean, this car was just it, it with what we do here with the golden era of drag racing, the names that I just mentioned are it, they are the pinnacle of drag racing. That's what we did with it. I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have gone any better than what I got, you know? And, you know, you had competition out there, too, you know, out in the East with Jim and Allison Lee, and they were another one of those teams that yeah. had the top-of-the-line stuff. So, I mean, it, there was some good racing that was going on. Well, you, you know, you, you look back. I didn't realize how many different tracks. Somebody asked me if I ever run it. Uh, oh, gosh. 
the name slips me now, over in Indiana, just above Rich, not Terre Haute. Uh, oh, anyway. US 30? No, it was Southern Indiana, uh, oh. where Richmond is on the border there, just above, just above Richmond going up. I know where you're talking. I can't think of the name Muncie, of it either. Muncie, Muncie, Muncie. Uh, there you go. Muncie. And asked me if I ever raced at Muncie, Indiana. And I said, I don't ever remember racing there. Well, I was going to a scrapbook here a couple of years ago and I look, I wanted to race at Muncie. Muncie. I don't even remember. I don't even remember the track, but you know, it's like that. You go to so many races and they were all stuck out in a pucker brush somewhere, you know, and, and, uh, but I, I was very fortunate to win the amount of races. I won, I won a national dragster open a couple of times. I won a Turkey trots a couple of times, uh, uh, won the IHRA winter nationals, uh, uh, Canadian, last Canadian American meet the head at Windsor, uh, and a lot of a lot of UDRA races I, I, I won and uh, WCS meets. And, uh, you can't keep track of them all because I was I was never one to worry about pictures yeah. or articles in the paper. I didn't have time. You know, I didn't have time to talk to those guys when they come around and talk to you at the racetrack because I was busy. Yeah. And I regret that now because I don't have those pictures and. We used to send out to try to get some sponsorship from a manufacturer or something. So you'd take two or three of your pictures that you had and you'd send them with your proposal. Well, you never got those pictures back. I I don't have the amount of pictures I should have for what I'd done all those years, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the racetracks back then, let me, let me tell you about, why I got hooked on drag racing. And I don't know, did you ever race up at Great Lakes Dragway at Union Grove? Yes. Yes. Yeah. One time, one time I did up there. I always had something closer than to go up there. I, I, I just only ever got up there once. Well, that track was like so many other tracks back in the day. And what, what hooked so many of us into drag racing was going out on a humid summer night, the crappy wooden bleachers, the lousy lighting, the smell of beer and brats coming from behind you the smell of nitro and the sound of cars in the pits and the greasy guys working. It was just the entire atmosphere. I did. You either loved it or you didn't love it. And, and the first time when I was eight years old, going to the drag race, I walked into that atmosphere. The The sun had gone down already and there's a cloud of nitro and big daddy's down in the pits, warming his car up. And there's a cloud of nitro and it was instantaneous for me. And those days of drag racing to me are what really, uh, you know, hooked people into the sport. Yes. And, you know, all these tracks, unfortunately, are gone now, but we still have our track here at Great Lakes Dragway. And I'll tell you what, the atmosphere is still the same. It's why I love going down there yet. Yes. I never drove a car on gas. I never drove a dragster on gasoline, ever. Really? I sat right down on the top. I went from a B-modified production and a D-gas to uh, top fuel. <laughs> well, there's a hell of a switch. As far as drag racing went, but I uh, I've been messing with the midgets and stuff like that. So I, I mean, I, I had, uh, I, I, I got a picture around here somewhere of myself leaning against a 32 Ford high boy with the license tag on the front of it, it says 1951. And it was parked next to our barn with an Arden flathead in it. Oh, geez. And I wound up, I wound up selling that Arden flathead, uh, whole assembly. 
and he's got it on one of those motors down at the museum in Florida. Wow. And that car, that car belonged to a guy from front of the family that couldn't keep it at his house. So under a tarp next to our barn was a 32 high boy in 1951 with an Arden overhead in it. <laughs> wow. That, you talk about history. Speaking of history, when did, did, did you guys never even realize what you were doing back then? You didn't realize the, the impact you were going to have for people like me, you know, generation forward. Uh, you, you were just out there racing and when did it, was there ever a point where it occurred to you that, Hey, we really did something cool back then. We really did something special. Did, did, did that ever occur to you at some point? I don't know, as I can say, it really occurred to me like that. Uh, I knew we were doing something that we wanted to do. And, and, and. I guess I got to say, I did it for me and I never worried much about those people in the stands. They were there to watch it, but uh, I, I never realized we made such an impact on it. I'm, you know, it's, it was nice to be recognized by people just by the look on your face, you know, or to, your, your facial picture that who you are. Uh, and uh, I still get that today. I, people, aren't you Jim Walter? And, and that's somebody I hadn't seen in 40 years. You know, come up to you and say that, and um, you know, it's it's yeah. I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of it, by all means. I mean, it it was a a time of my life that I just loved. Yeah. And I had a I had a family that went along with it, and uh, uh, I had a wife of sixty years that never complained about about it at all, with all the traveling and this and that. But I I always made it a point my whole career, Randy, to never spend a dollar on my paycheck on a race car. Oh, really? That was my family's. And I did for years. In the early years, I'd come home from work and I had something lined up, a a brake job, an exhaust system, tune up, oil change. I I did something every night to make cash money. And that was my race car money. And that's how I did that. And, uh, I'm proud of that fact. I mean, that uh, even when I, if I was going to California for a couple of weeks, uh, she'd get a check out of the race car account for my paycheck for those two weeks, as if I was home working. So well, you, it sounds like you did it the right way. There was a lot of guys that lost their families and wives trying to chase the drag strip. You know, I guess what made me want to do that as I saw guys and their kids walking around with no shoes on their feet or, or pants that uh, were so wore out and wives dressed terrible. And uh, because all the money went to race car and I didn't want that, that, but that's, I, that's a personal thing for people. You know, I'm not saying everybody else is wrong. That's just how I wanted it. Well, the, the, this period of this period of drag racing, you know, I've always divided it up into a couple of different sections, you know, coming out of, uh, I, I told Carl Olson one time that I always figured one of the big dividing lines in drag racing was the last race at Lions in 72 was kind of the end of an era. And yeah. we move forward into this revolutionary kind of uh, superstar uh, going for the speed and the NHRA points and all that. I mean, it just was a kind of a, and you, you were right there in the middle of that era. And you kind of stepped out of it right when that next era began. If I could, if I would have lasted 
in my own mind, if I would have lasted two more years, that's when all the sponsorships come into it. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't, I, I called it when I called it and so be it, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't go to racetracks much for a couple of years when I finally stopped. I, I just, you know, uh, was, I was bitterness, I guess you could say. Well, it, you know, there's no doubt about it that the money when it came in changed the sport forever, you know, and, and I, I taught, you know, I did talk to Steve Gibbs about this whole era of how everything advanced and speeds kept going up and up and it kept getting more expensive. But, and a lot of people nowadays criticize the NHRA for not keeping a handle on it, but Hey, let's face it. It was the drivers and the teams. They were just trying to go faster and faster and, and win yes. the money and it, it, you can't blame the NHRA for how it's no. the sport has become. That's what drag racing is about. Who can go the quickest and the fastest? Yeah. I mean, it has been. I, I, I personally don't like it today like it is because I don't think somebody sitting in the stands can tell you the difference between 270 and 330 mile an hour when they go by. That's funny. You're, you're, I've, I've heard that exact statement from multiple drivers now. And it's, it's funny you would say that because I totally agree with that. We went to the U.S. Nationals uh, the year of COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. We went to the U.S. Nationals. It was like 50 people in the stands because they were basically giving tickets away. And it, it was just sort of a sterile kind of race. Everybody made their pass. It would look, the passes all looked the same. And the, the only time the crowd ever got fired up during that entire race was when there was a bit of a pedal fest between two teams that had everybody on their feet, but then everybody sat down and was on with the race again. So, I mean, there's something that's been lost in the character of the race. Yeah. It's almost boring to an extent. Yeah. Uh, now, and, and, and the money that it costs to run one of these things today, hell, if I was a millionaire, I don't think I'd, I'd build one. No, it's just not the nostalgia car. They're, they're, to me, they still got, they still got a little something going for them, you know, and I, I'd like, I'd like to see that come back myself more than nostalgia stuff. And, uh, uh, well, I think I, it is. I mean, you got, you got groups like Jim Young's group out there that are, you know, <laughs> that they're, they're trying to, they're peeling off a little bit from the NHRA and what they're doing. But I mean, I think the nostalgia thing is actually where the future of this sport is at at this point. Yeah. I, I really do. I know there's a lot of people who disagree with me on that. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't though, because I, you know, we could all go in each other's trailers and talk to people. You could go borrow something if you needed it. <laughs> if a guy needed a hand, yeah, I'll take the motor out of my car, put it in yours. You know, it was that kind of deal. And everybody was friendly. I mean, very few people had ill feelings about other racers, you know, and, well, and it's to this day why when you go to a, an event like the Holly National Hot Rod Reunion or you go to Steve Gibbs uh, deal, you know, the Nitro Revival, it is. It's like a giant. It's like hanging out at a family reunion. It's the most amazing thing. Yeah, I, I just got a couple of tickets the other day from them for it. I don't know whether I'll make it or not, because uh, if it had known it sooner, a couple of guys wanted to go, but they can't go now where I could. You know, you share expenses when you get out there because one guy go out, fly out and get your hotel room and stuff and all on your own. It gets a little, it gets a little heavy in the pocket. So, yeah, well, I, I went out there last year. It was, it yeah. was a little pricey. I'm going again this year. Yeah, well, good for you. I'm sorry. I missed you at Bowling Green this year. We had intentions to go, but at the last minute, uh, we didn't make it. And uh, 
I think that's the only one I've missed probably in the last 15 years. Well, I'll be down there again this next year. And uh, we, we went down there with the intention of uh, being able to, to chat with Allison Lee and get her on, you know, get her on video. And, and unfortunately she was at home with Jim and uh, it, it didn't happen. So, but I, I've been talking with Bobby and we're going to try and get, we're going to try and get a deal like this done with Allison uh, and see if we can't get her to tell her story too. So I'm looking forward to that, but Bowling Green, what an experience. I mean, literally what an experience walking through the pits. Uh, no doubt. No doubt. I always have a good time there and uh, it, it, it's, it's fun. And I like to, I like to walk around and see everybody and talk to everybody. And, and uh, well, I, had the, I, had I, the... I spent quite a bit of time with Smoker two years ago. <laughs> he's a, he's a character. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> we had be... some big characters in back in those days. Yes, though, yes right? they did. And, I mean, uh, you're, you're right about that. I mean, there was no lack of personalities back then, yes. was there? No, it was it was super. I, I mean, today it's kind of how do you even get to one of the guys that's driving today? To you know, how do you know somebody's got a personality or not? You can't get around them. They ain't around. Only time you see them is when they interview them. Yeah, and that's that's it. You know, and I don't even. I'm so far removed from those guys now. I mean, if I run into one of them, I'll talk to him and. And, and and tell them who I am, and and most of, most of them rec- remember your name, but uh, I don't bother them in their pits and stuff anymore. I just well, you know, the, there's only a few, there's only a couple of personalities left, and you know, John Force being one of them, which <laughs> sometimes he's over the top with his personality, but uh, you know, Ron Caps is a bit of a personality, but I think they all have their own media handlers. It's impossible to get yes. anywhere near these guys yeah. because they're trying to maintain that NHRA image, I think. And a corporate image for the, that's the sponsor deal. that gets them in trouble if they do wrong. So, well, and John Forrest, you were at the international drag racing hall of fame this year. That was <laughs> uh, out of hand. Yes. Wow. I I'm glad that, that I bet, you know, he actually called up Pat Baldus and apologized to her. Yeah, he called. I know he called uh, Don Smith too, and and apologized to Don Smith. I was at Don Smith's table that night, and I felt so bad for John Toll, who had to get up and do the induction speech for John Don Smith. And I'm like, wow. John looks at me before he goes up there. He goes, "How the hell do I follow that?" And I'm like, "You got me." But anyway, I did. It, it happened. <laughs> it was something. You know, Masters edited that whole section out of the video before they they republished it, but. I pulled out my cell phone and I actually captured that whole thing and it, it's never going to go anywhere, but I've got it. I, I'm never going to do anything with it. I understand that. <laughs> so um, who are who, the, to, to kind of wrap this thing up, you know, one of the, one of the main themes of all these interviews is I find out about all the friends that were made along the way, all the dear friends, who are some of the friends that were most influential for you along the way, along your drag racing career? Oh, to start with, I guess, in the early days, uh, Skeeter Jordan from Cleveland, and I don't know whether you know Skeeter or not. He's, he's in a rest home now, but uh, he, worked for, uh, he worked for Lakewood for a lot of years, and uh, he gave me a hand to begin with to get me on the right track because he'd helped some of the other dragster guys around Cleveland. He, he helped me out to begin with, but the uh, – I guess 
I learned most of the stuff myself up until a time that I got, I started with Ed Pink and put the pink stuff, started put that motor in and Ed showed me an awful lot of tricks. And I really appreciate the help Ed Pink gave me through the years. And uh, the funny thing about talking about Pink, I, I'm one of the few guys that had an open account with Ed Pink. I could, if I could get my car apart and see if I needed anything before eight o'clock Ohio time, I could call him in California, be before five o'clock his time. He'd have it on the airplane that night. It would be in Cleveland for me the next day. So, I mean, if I needed something drastically, I could do that. I, I didn't call that favor in very often, but it, it could happen. So I learned a lot from Ed. Uh, I guess Art Crispin taught me how to read a spark plug better than anybody else did. Um, as far as other racers go, uh, first time Pat Dakin ever sat down in a fuel car was I let him warm my car up at Martin, Michigan, Milan, Michigan. Wow. He'd been driving Rupp's gas dragster and uh, he got out of the car. The goggles were about half filled with water when he got out. And then I picked Patty up and took him to Gainesville with me in 70. In 70, I took him to Gainesville. 71, I took him to Gainesville with me and won the turkey trots down there. So I got a picture of Patty with hair down to about here. And, uh, and then he, he started driving a fuel car. And, and uh, him and I have been very good friends. As a matter of fact, he called me up two weeks ago after he ran he did make his last pass in the car up at 131 a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And uh, Spencer made one lap, Patty made the other one. And uh, he called me up first thing Monday morning. He says, I've made my, I've taken my last ride. Oh. And he said, I put my suit on and got in it. And he said, holy crap, it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> How's he doing anyway? How's it helpful? He's doing fine. He's okay. putting some weight back on. His cancer's gone in his throat. Good. So he conquered that. So uh, he was good. Uh, Robert Frakes was a good friend. I helped when Robert went to Top Fuel. I I helped Robert get all on the right path in there. I mean, he, he was a good friend. Uh, 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 just so many, so many nice guys that you met out there. Paul Candies was a uh, he was a really good friend. Uh, you could always talk to and get stuff out of uh, other racers. I, I they're, they're about all of them were to me on kind of the same level. They were just on the same level I was. So I think we all treated each other about the same. And, and uh, Big Daddy, I, him and I had conversations about clutches going back to about 1970 uh, on what to do with clutches and this and that. And, and uh, I ran a, at Gainesville at the Gators, I ran uh, the first set of big tires on a back motor car that Goodyear came out with, and everybody was shaking bad at that time. Yeah. And I ran that big tire, and uh, the old man was watching. And he come running over when I got back to the pits. He says, it didn't shake. I said, no, it was smooth as hell. He says, let me try them. So I said, take them off. So here comes TC, takes them off, take over, bolts them on the old man's car. He goes up and goes down through there, brings it back, Put it back on my car, went, took some rims over and had big tires put on his car. But that's him and I were pretty close through the years. And uh, we could talk to one another on a on a, a level that meant things, you know. And the old man 
we didn't have computers there, but that guy had a computer in his head. He remembered everything of what he'd done at this track a year ago to make it successful. I mean, uh, not necessarily notes written down. He just remembered stuff. And I, I told him, I said, oh, I said, you had a computer on your car for anybody else. Said, what do you mean? I said, your head. And, but he was, he was that good at it. And uh, uh, I got along good with him. Uh, most everybody, we all got along. You know, it's funny you'd say that about about Big Daddy. Kenny Youngblood said to me one time, he goes, you know, there's there there was three kinds of racers. There was guys that wanted to race but weren't very good, didn't have the skills. There were guys who wanted to race who had the skills but didn't really care that much about, you know, the points and the winning. They just wanted to go out there and have a good time and race and maybe get a victory here and there. And then there were guys like Big Daddy who coming in second just sucked and they had to win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was, there were a few of them snake, you know, guys like that, that had to win. And it's always the same story with these guys. It was like an obsession for them to, to be around these cars and to work on them. One guy that I know can hold a grudge is a snake. (laughs) 1970, he won the nationals and he comes to 71. He's got that brand new wedge shaped deal that he had and it rained. We had about a three hour delay and I got him first round. I'm running the snake. And uh, Eddie Van Horn, his wife, Van Horns were from Michigan. Eddie's wife comes over with this rubber snake about two feet long and gives it to me. So I get out and I put it on one of my parachute packs and tied a knot in it right behind the head. And during that rain, Snake keeps looking over at it and he'd get up and he'd change the timing and he changed the percentage and he changed this and he changed that. And he's in that new wedge shape deal. And I'm in a front motor car yet. And I ran away from him. He, I pulled in the turn off and he went all the way to the end, got out of the car set, but down behind the tire, they come down went back to the pits, got the trailer, come down, loaded it up down there, went out the back gate of Indy. And the next time the snake talked to me was 1998. Oh, jeez. Okay, that is a grudge. Wow. And the car you're talking about, was that that, that red and, the red and white, the, the Woody yes. Gilmore? Yeah. Yep. They eventually took the, the wedge shape off of it and turned it into yep. a traditional dragster. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one. And, <laughs> but, and we were at the, PRI show and I'm standing there, me and the old man are talking and our wife's go booth was in the corner and here comes a steak bopping around the corner and he goes, he goes Tampa, because he always called the old man Tampa. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. And he says, Tampa, he says, uh, and he, he looks and sees me, he goes, Oh, hi, Jim. I goes, Hello, Snake, how are you? <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know why I held a grudge against you. That car was a that that car was not going to win races the way it was well, set up. That I think tying that snake in a knot had something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it wasn't getting beat. I believe it was the snake that I had on there. <laughs> That's good. Just well, one of the stories that you you have from the old days. A weird thing that happened. I think we were running Pomona. And we kept getting rained out. Uh, it could have been 72. And we kept getting rained out. No, maybe 73. But anyway, 
they decided they're going to ask a bunch of racers to come to Magic Mountain, and they're going to film this thing at Magic Mountain. I don't know if you ever heard about this or not. Oh, no, I haven't. The amusement park. Well, now, you don't ask a bunch of funny car and top fuel racers and some of your good sportsman racers and stuff were there to come and drive around Magic Mountain. Now, the little cars that normally go in the track, they take them out of the track and they put us on the walkways. So Magic Mountain's closed on Monday. And it's drizzling, it's wet, but we're going to have some fun. So it, what, what is the first thing a bunch of drag racers are going to do to that little Briggs motor in there? Dave, Dave Bortman's riding with me, and I says, I said, give me your, take your shoelace out of your shoe. He goes, what for? I said, do it. We'd gone about 200 feet, and I pulled behind a building, hooked it on the governor, like that. And I said, okay, Bortman, you got the throttle, I got the brakes and the steering wheel. Well, now we took that 10, 12 mile an hour deal and turned it into about a 35 mile an hour deal, right? <laughs> but everybody else was doing it too. And I believe we made two laps before we were supposed to line up. Well, in those two laps, I saw Perdome get run through a fence. I saw Rupp and Dakin run over a row of saplings about yay big around. And Billy Myers took the complete front end out from underneath one of them on a boulder. Well, after two laps, they stop us. Now, instead of lunch at noon, now they're going to give us lunch at 11 o'clock. Well, when we come back from lunch, there was no more of those cars were on the, the Dodgems, the ones with the pole up on the electric on top of them up there. Now there's two guys in each one of those now. But we did more damage to them damn things than you could shake a stick at. <laughs> now, who, what was their thinking? And it was NHRA and a publisher of one of the publishers. And Randy, I can't remember who, but you talk to some of the guys if they ever raced at Magic Mountain on that deal. But I know we were rained out at Pomona. That, I'm sure it was Pomona. Uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't take 20 or 25 guys up there and put them in these cars and think it's not going to raise hell. <laughs> Somebody didn't think that through, I can tell you. Not I, at I, all. I, I went to – I, I Go ahead, Jim. It only took two parade laps to make them decide they didn't need it. <laughs> I, I, I had the privilege of, I, I used to, as a truck driver, I drove uh, enclosed auto transporter at one point, and I had to haul some cars up in, up in uh, Portland for the American Grand Prix race and to take them downtown on the square. And then we took these guys out to a local amusement park, and it was the same deal. It was a go-kart track. And they wanted to do a PR event out there with these guys. Well, you can, it's the same thing. You can, there was people out in the grass. There was people upside down. It, I've never seen anything like it. Hello. Open wheel cars and they're running into It's un, unbelievable. Somebody didn't think that through. That's right. And well, that's what it was at Magic Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, the stories in drag racing and a, the, 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 the personalities that were in drag racing at that time. It's what made all this so much fun. Just the, you know, the people you just named snake and Billy Meyer and you and, and who was, it's just amazing. The personalities. Oh, Ivo. I, Ivo, he was always a character. When oh he yeah. Was. I've heard of his pranks. Yeah. And well, Tarzan's pranks were better than Ivo's. I mean, Tarzan just 
The one time Ivo pulled in, he had poison ivy all over him, so he's riding naked in the El Dorado with a sheet over him because <laughs> he's got calamine lotion all over him. They pull in the gas station, Tarzan gets out of the car and yanks the sheet off of him. How <laughs> he's sitting there. <laughs> wow. There, I, I heard down at US 30 that that him, that Ivo and Bobby Woods would literally pull the engines out of their cars at night at the Holiday Inn and bring them in and put them on the bed and work on them in the hotel. Well, I've, I've seen it. I've seen them in the rooms, but not, I've never seen one laying on a bed, but I've seen the bathtub used as a parts cleaner and I've seen blocks, <laughs> blocks laying on the floor and had cylinder heads laying there and stuff when it was, we had no light outside. You had to go inside where you had some light. <laughs> <laughs> I know at that that hotel at US 30, the holiday, and I'm sure they all have the same reputation. This is one that's close to me, though. So I've heard the stories that the the hostesses and the, the cleaning ladies were told not to go in the rooms when the drag racers were in there. <laughs> so what happened was, you know, you had them all out on the patio doing whatever obscene things they were going to do out there. <laughs> it was a different Ivo, time. Ivo had a glass jug about oh, I guess maybe a foot and a half high when you had to have motel room keys always he kept every motel room key he could and this this thing was full of motel room keys from all over the country jeez yeah, I, Ivo was Ivo to me was as great a drag racer as there's ever been yeah. that guy could make a car go down anything and he drove top fuel he drove the four wheel deal he had funny cars he had jet cars now, Ivo was a showman with him he really was oh yeah I watched uh, Ivo came up here to Great Lakes Dragway. He used to come up here in the '80s with that black jet car with the mm -hmm. with the police light on top of it. He yeah. always put on a show. He, he was he's a Ivo was great. He had always always smiling. Well, he lived in Cleveland for a while, so I used to stop by his place there and stuff. And uh, uh, well, you know, one thing that I was I, I came <laughs> up with this list and. You were a, a one national event winner, and it happened to be the 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 world finals, you know, in, in Tulsa. And I was looking through this list of of guys that were considered one hitters, but it's not true. You, I mean, just think of the names on this list, and I've got it right here: Johnny Abbott, Terry Caps, Ron Caps, Larry Dixon, Senior, Clayton Harris, Jimmy King, Lucille Lee. I mean, the the list: Don Moody, John Mulligan, Bill Mullins, Jimmy Nix, Bob Noyce, Carl Olson. Herm Peterson, it, the names that are listed on this as one event winners or two event winners really doesn't tell the story of this whole era of drag racing. It, when you put it in terms of how many national NHRA event wins do they have, because I, I, I couldn't believe it when I came across this list and realized that these guys had only won one or two national events because they're so legendary. Well, here's my take on that. There was so few national events back in those years it's not like you have 26 of them today or whatever it is where, but I mean, he, he, in, in those other races I mentioned earlier that were preludes to more national events, like the Turkey trots and the national dragster open and stuff that they, they turned all of those became national events. You could say, you know, yeah. and I mean, if you go back into how many of them were one, you know, I mean, like I, I mean, I won the Turkey trots twice and the national dragster open twice and the, and a Canadian American meet those that type of thing, and I've I won uh, IHRA national events, and uh, but you know as far as any NHRA goes, yes, I only won the one. I uh, 
And what gets me more than anything else, Randy, that I've had guys come up to me, well, when, when you won it, you only had to win one event. <laughs> I said, well, okay, let's back up a minute here. That's true. But I played by the rules. Yeah. You had to run so many WCS meets. You had to run one out of your division. You had to have enough points. Then you had to be invited. Yeah. And half were from the West and half were from the East. Now, when I won the world finals that day, I had some pretty big hitters. I had Ed Rennick, uh, Raymond Beadle, Prentice Cunningham's car, uh, James Coburn, or James Warren and Warren Coburn and Miller car. <laughs> uh, Danny Reitzel out of Texas and Reitzel as tough as they come. And Clayton Harris. Now that, that wasn't five easy guys. Oh. You know, so, I mean, that's the way it goes, you know, and, uh, uh, but that's how the rules were. So I said, you know, don't tell me you only had to win one event. You had to go and win this other stuff to get enough points to be invited. And, and there's no, there's no doubt about it, that the races, the races in this era, it, it was like a fist fight on a track. I mean, everybody was good. Everybody was running this. It was just, it, it was, and the qualifying rounds, it was just a whole different game back then. You know, it wasn't so much as money as knowledge. Yeah on how to get down those tracks. Yeah. Because you could have all the money in the world. If you didn't, if you couldn't make it go, you didn't win. You know, and that's, that's one of those things that I learned from, you know, Jerry Newman here, a friend of mine that uh, him and Doc Holliday, when they were out there, they had run some of these crappy tracks, you know, no prep tracks, and they knew how to get down the track. I'm looking at a picture here of... Uh, the special edition, it looks like you in the seat. And I don't know what this must, I, I can't tell what racetrack this is at. Uh, it's, and I don't see a year on this. Um, it looks like a somewhere in the 2010, 2012, 2015. You're, it looks like you're on a return road. You're, you're not even suited up. You're just sitting in the car. I don't know when this picture came from, but boy, that, that engine in this, this picture, wow, that thing is a beauty. You know, I raced that car three years, and at the end of three years, that paint job on that that car didn't have a mark or a scratch in the damn thing after three years. Oh. The bottom of the the bottom of the body panels were on some of the return roads or shutdowns that might bounce and scraped a little bit, but never had a dent in it. I mean, it was it was superb. Uh, I assume I assume you've seen the the picture the the one that I have up here, the U.S. Nationals 1969 picture, that low angle picture of you. Yeah, uh, that is a what a what an incredible picture. That is an awesome. Oh, that picture. was that was when they paraded us all down the track in '69. There's a video of that actually out that Steve uh, Evans narrates on. Oh, really? I'll mm -hmm. have to see if I can track that down. Well, let's 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 just kind of finish this up then. And I, I just wanted to make sure we got a last few words in here. So, I mean, you've. You don't, the, the car that was restored, you do not own that car, correct? No, I do not. A fellow named Penny Flamia. Okay. From Richmond, Virginia. And does that thing get taken out to any of the reunions anymore? Or is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, in fact, he's done three, he's been to three good guys show with it this year. Uh, he's been more, more stuff on the East Coast because the price of diesel fuel and everything went up. That's why he didn't come to Bowling Green this year. Okay. I'd have gone for sure if he was going to have the car there, but when he didn't go and we had other things come up, that's why we backed out of it at the last minute. But 
Well, you know, even though I didn't get a chance to see you or Allison Lee or the people that I really wanted to see when I was down there, I got a hell of an opportunity. And I don't know if you saw the video I put together of the four original starting line crew guys. Mm -hmm. I caught them walking through the pits with their ugly ass pink shirts on from 1978. <laughs> and I put some staying alive Bee Gees music to it. It was just hilarious. It was, it yeah. was one of those priceless moments of all four of them together. So I got, I got a real education. I could have never gotten otherwise sitting in their <laughs> hotel room at night after the event. So <laughs> the stories that most of them I can't repeat, of course. <laughs> yes. Well, Mike, Mike got a heck of an education. I can tell you that. <laughs> I've often asked him, I said, how the hell did you survive those days? You came out of it in one piece. And well, you know, he was a young kid when he showed up. I, I, don't, I don't know how old he was, maybe 12. I don't know. Something That's like about that. 13, I think 13. He, he told me yeah. he was 13 when... I mean, there's a picture of Mike Couch starting Big Daddy Don Garlitz at the Gator Nationals when he was 15 years old. Yes. That's crazy. That, uh, him and, him and Daryl Gwynn, Daryl used to ride around on his bicycle and come ride them. Go, Hi, Mr. Walther. How are you today? You know, and then Daryl went on to fame, you know. Yeah. Well, what, what, so what's Jim Walter up to these days? What, it, what, what keeps you, what keeps you occupied these days? Well, I, I've sold all, I, I built a number of hot rods through the years and street rods and stuff. And uh, I sold my last one about a year and a half ago, I guess. Uh, I have a little 2004 SSR pickup truck that I play with. It's been lowered and, and it's, it's black and it's kind of neat and it's just a little toy. And, but, but mom and I drive it around town all the time. That's our go-to vehicle. It's only got 14,000 miles on it and it's 19 years old, you know, but got that. I play golf a couple of times a week. I, I still am able to shoot in the mid eighties. So I'm holding my own on that. And I don't know how much longer I'll be able to do that. Don't sure can't hit it as far as I used to, but <laughs> I, I still golf and I do all my own yard work and things like that. I stay active. I'm still, as long as they keep making replacement parts, why I'm all right, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I plan to live forever. So, you know, well, I'm, I'm hoping to, but it's, you know, it'd be 83 here. So it's looking a little on a narrow side on that tall end right now. for me. <laughs> so, but we're still doing good. We're having fun and uh, we still go places and do things and we're on a run. Well, I, I'm not a vegetable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I just want to say, uh, as we close this out here that for guys like me, you know, when you, you quit racing when I was, uh, 12, 13, 12, I was 12 years old when you quit racing. So for guys like me who, you know, uh, got into drag racing in the early seventies and, and went out there for, it, it's just, I want to thank you for what you did for me, for the passion for the sport. I never had the money or the means to be able to race myself, but I never missed a race that I was able to get to because it was all about, and it is still to this day for me, it's about the people. It's not, it, the race cars were cool. And I'll admit it, the funny cars, when the funny cars came out, we all wanted to go to every funny car match, match race we could get to because they were such works of art, but it was always about the people. We spent more time in the pits than we ever did watching the race out on the track. And, and that's why I do what I do because it's all about the people. And I want to thank you for being part of that back then. Well, you're more than welcome. And I want to thank you for what you're doing here 
with the golden era of drag racing. I mean, you know, somebody's got to do this. And I, uh, uh, Max was, what, what's her name? Uh, Rudka, Tracy Rudka. Yeah. She, she's been interviewing people for this, I guess for probably 12 years now, but nothing's ever happened to all of those recordings and stuff that all of us made for. I wish somebody could get a hold of them from her where you could put a, put a DVD together on that. You know, it's, I love to see it happen. Well, because younger people today don't know what we did. The people did because nobody, when we were kids, what the first thing you did, you put dual exhaust on your car and dual carburetors and stuff like that. <laughs> now they put a bigger stereo system in. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I mean, we, we, we never had any money, but we were always out screwing around under the hood of our cars. The, the coolest thing you could do was put a four barrel on it, man. Get rid of that crappy two barrel and put a four barrel on. Yep. But uh, you know, we, we don't do anything fancy here. Nothing I do is fancy. We just want the stories told. And, you know, Mike Couch has been instrumental in this. And uh, Steve Gibbs has been instrumental. And a, and a couple of other people, John Toll, uh, Henry Walther is, is now on board helping us out. So yeah, I've got my a brother, lot of, My brother from another mother. There you go. He's going to like hearing that because I'm sure he's watching this. But we... It, I've had a lot of people come on board to help me with this. And it's, it's been just a treat to be able to talk to people who I had their posters hanging on my wall when I was a kid. And uh -huh. now I'm able to talk to them and hear the stories. It's, it's an amazing thing for me. Well, I'm just glad I was able to do it. And I, again, I, I was born and raced in it at the right time. Yeah. And it was the right time, wasn't it? Yep. We'll never Every see those time of drag racing is what I went through. Yeah, we'll never see those times again, unfortunately. But uh, so, Jim, I thank you for being here. Um, I'm hoping to meet up with you either at the Nitro. Or, hey, if you need a hotel room to hang out in, I got a two king beds and we, we whatever. If you want to come out there, we can share a room with you. But uh, I'm hoping to maybe see, see either there or, or down at the uh, Bowling Green next year. We'll be there. I'll see it. You. You're going to be at the introductions, the Hall of Fame inductions again. To, Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll go. I'll, I'll see you down there for that. I'm sure me and Mike Couch will be hanging out at the Gators. So oh, we'll have to go to the bar. <laughs> hey, well, we're going to have to do that. I want to hear some more stories that I can't air live here. 